Today on Locked On Canadians with a very special guest, why should Habs fans be excited about Lane Hudson? Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 791, and we thank you for making us your first listen of the day, wherever you get your podcast, as well as on YouTube. My name is Laura Saba, and I am joined today by a very special guest in lieu of my co-host, Hadi Kalakesh, who is a public scout, a host of Locked On NHL Prospects, and Hadi's work has ap- appeared on Eyes on the Prize, Dauber Prospects, among other places. Hadi, thank you so much for giving me your time today. Of course, no problem at all. I love talking about how it's Habs prospects, so I'm more than happy to come on. Uh, so if you don't follow Hattie on Twitter, uh, this is where you find out, you should, because this is where you find out about what Lane Hudson has been up to. Um, and we are going to get up, we're going to get to Lane Hudson in just a second. So today we're going to talk earliest about the uh, the players that are most likely to either get a cup of coffee or even make the Habs soonest. And then later on, maybe it'll take a little bit more time where it's a little bit of a longer shot. And then in the final segment today, we're going to talk about who might be available for the Habs to draft in the first round in this upcoming draft. So why don't we start? I think to me, Owen Beck has already like had his game with the Montreal Canadiens. So I feel like yep. Owen Beck should be where we start. How's he been doing, particularly since the trade? I know you've been keeping an eye on how he's been doing and people were kind of not super overwhelmed with, with his first performance in the NHL, but I think he's still cooking. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, you know, I always favor, you know, learning translatable elements, learning projectable elements that'll work in the NHL above point production. For me, it's kind of a, an overblown kind of situation when it comes to, you know, a player who's going to destroy records in, in the CHL or anything like that. I'd much rather have my player, you know, produce a point a game, maybe even under and actually learn some stuff that'll help them at the next level. Um, essentially, it's just, it's more important how the points are scored than how many. And um, with Owen Beck, the production has been underwhelming since his trade to Peterborough. He's got 11 points in 16 games, um, but he's mostly been playing in a sort of secondary role. He's not playing on that top line with Peterborough. He has shared some time with Brendan Othman. It's kind of gone on a cold streak since um, being matched with Owen Beck. Just because Beck is very much a, a, a forward who likes to focus on the defensive side, and he's been placed in a situation where he's shutting down the opposition more often than not. Um, and with the amount of firepower that's on Peterborough, that that ice time is sort of spread out. And he's mostly been faced with defensive zone face-offs, mostly been sort of facing those kind of situations. So I wouldn't worry too much in Owen Beck's case in terms of the production dropping. Um, you know, he was at 41 points in 30 games before the trade when he was uh, playing for the Mississauga Steelheads. And then it goes to 11 points in 16 games. That's obviously, you know, a big downgrade in terms of the production, but his play hasn't changed at all. Um, and what I like is that his audition in the NHL did show some flashes of what we're going to see more consistently in the future with Owen Beck, which is a player who's going to man the transition really well, who's going to make some decent defensive plays, win you a couple face-offs. Um, he's a very dependable and consistent player. It's very rare that he's going to have, you know, off shifts, take his foot off the gas, um, constantly pushing transition. That's the kind of stuff that I like to see from a prospect, and that's why I think Owen Beck is 
not necessarily the closest to the NHL, but among the closest. He's got the most sort of pro-ready elements to his game. Right. And that's the thing is, is like one of the things that you were t- just talking about is, you know, how well he was doing on his previous team. And for mm-hmm. me, I think the fact that you're talking about projectable elements, he needs to improve at every level, particularly with a role as he's going to be a middle six, potentially top, like a, a third line center. Like mm-hmm. those defensive responsibilities need to be developed. So if he's yeah. staying on a team where he's coasting and he's able to destroy easily, he's mm-hmm. not necessarily learning anything new or improving anything that needed improvement. So for me, like I'm also not too concerned about about Owen Beck. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that you said that he might not be the closest because the person I want to bring up next um, is somebody who like he's it's rumored or whatever we all know that sean farrell is going to sign his entry-level contract once he's done with his ncaa season so let's talk about this kid the small goals boy 2.0 he is (laughs) insane i i love this player on on multiple levels you know he was pretty much a pure playmaker in his draft year with you know poor skating mechanics he's improved his skating and he's added a tremendous shot on top of that i mean he's over in the assist per game right now with harvard um 29 assists, 46 points in uh, 27 games so far this year for them. And he's been pretty much their best player. And that's saying something given that, you know, one of his frequent line mates and a big name on that team is Matt Coronado, who was a, you know, high end first round pick in his draft year. So you look at Farrell's, you know, you look at Farrell's playing style and you just see so much that's just it it works so well in any top six the way that he attracts players to him he's, he's got this sort of magnetic magnetic field where he just draws in opponents and opens up so much space for his line mates and not only is he able to draw players in he's able to play through them he's able to pass through sticks like they don't exist um you know he finds the smallest of seams and opens them up with his body positioning with his stick handling he's a really really good handler as well which helps him sort of um navigate tight scenarios he does need to add some core strength which i think is only the the, the pretty much the only thing that's stopping him from making the jump pretty much right away um that's something you can work out in the gym it's not something that he needs to improve on the ice everything he does on the ice is so intelligent so refined so advanced i'm you know for me he's the closest to the nhl and the most likely of all the Habs prospects to make it in a full-time top six role and that's the thing right like when whenever he does sign his entry level if he does i'm I'm like i'm very very skeptical of like the possibility that he wouldn't Mm -hmm. um it's going to be a few games with the Canadians and then he's going to go home with a conditioning assignment for the summer. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. I, like for me, the fact that you said that he was able to improve his skating uh, mm-hmm. was the, was the key, right. Key because we initially, when he was drafted, even Scott would call him the small assists boy, not the small yeah. goals boy. So he's yeah. kind of like really taken steps in that, in that area. But you find that with a lot of prospects, sometimes the knock on them is they're skating. And if they're never able to improve that, they mm-hmm. don't become full-time NHLers or at least not for a long time so for me like it's very promising that Sean Farrell was not only willing but also able to do that and I know it's not it's not it's not easy for every player but it's a big component of being part of a fast skilled team in today's NHL. Yeah. And a big part of that is Adam Nicholas right because Adam Nicholas I'd say Sean Farrell is almost definitely the prospect he spent the most time with he Adam Nicholas and Sean Farrell you know started off with the Chicago Steel um nicholas was one of the guys who was tasked with prospect development in uh in chicago he became their main guy at one point then he got hired to the habs so he's been following sean farrell since before his draft year a couple years before his draft year so he's got a really good understanding of sean farrell's strengths and weaknesses and i adam nicholas's masterpiece because all of the elements that exist in farrell's game are things that adam nicholas values so much 
um, you know, inside play, uh, manipulation, um, attracting opponents, like I mentioned, um, his ability to change the angle of his passes, um, his understanding of body positioning and board battles. Um, all those things are things that, Sean, that that Adam Nicholas prones when he when it comes to prospect development. And it shows that Sean Farrell has been the prospect who spent the most time with Nicholas. I think that you know, adding Adam Nicholas to this um, organization and to this development team was probably the best thing, not just for Sean Farrell, but for all the Habs prospects. They they could all benefit from the intelligence, the understanding of what works in the NHL that Adam Nicholas brings to the table. And it answers a lot of questions that the previous regimes have had about development, yeah. because you could have potential if the player is not able to achieve it. It's partly in the player's hands and partly in the organization's mm-hmm. hands. For sure. um, and so we're going to try to turn our attention to somebody who's a little bit more familiar to Canadians fans, both yeah. because he's kind of in the market uh, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, the world juniors. So Joshua Roy, how's he been doing? Let's just do a quick check-in on Joshua Roy, <laughs> just because yeah. we can. <laughs> so he has been doing really well, of course. Um, you know, since he returned from the world juniors, he's had a, a decent amount of multi-point games. He had a five-point game the other day in an A2 win against St. John. Um, you know, he's up to, he's up to 71 points in 42 games so pretty similar production um to what he uh performed last year um the thing with joshua Hua is i don't i don't think he's necessarily adding anything to his game by playing in the qmjhl right now he's just kind of working in the same stuff that he did but what he showed at the world juniors is that he has added some elements to his game in the summer um He's always been a good physical player. He's always been good at um, establishing body positioning, at outworking and outmuscling his opponents along the boards. Um, and he's always been a good sort of static shooter. You know, from a from a standpoint, he's able to rifle the puck really easily. That's why he's so good on uh, the half wall on the power play. Um, but he's added some playmaking elements. He's added some um, inside play, uh, more of a tendency to drive uh, transitions. That's That was the big main thing that was lacking in Joshua Hawa's game is that he barely... Uh, got involved in transitions at all um, from his draft year up to last year. And now now this year, even now in the QMJHL, um, it's mainly his teammates, Ethan Goche, who's a 2023 uh, draft eligible, and Justin Gill. Those were the main, you know, transition drivers on his team. But it's mostly systematic. With with Team Canada, he was able to carry the puck into the offensive zone and more than willing to do so when he was tasked with that. but I don't think that's going to be a staple of his game moving forward. I think what you can expect from Joshua Hua is a guy who's going to go in the corners, win you some puck battles, um, get off the wall with the puck, and take some shots. Uh, he's really good at um, sneaking behind opponents, sneaking behind their heels to find space. So all of those things are things that can work. Um, it doesn't make him as much of a complete player as, let's say, Sean Farrell, who does all those things uh, minus the the, the, the strength, uh, the core strength, you know, but does all those things on top of having elite playmaking and elite uh, transition ability. Um, so that's why I think Joshua Hua is more of, of sort of a, um, you know, fringe second line, third line sort of ceiling player. Um, he's almost definitely going to fill out that depth on the Canadians uh, and and give them some good results, some consistent results in that bottom six and occasionally on that second line. But I don't think we can expect Joshua Watt to be a full-time toxic, top six player, at least not yet, until he refines his skating further and hopefully adds even more willingness to drive transitions. If, if he becomes a main transition driver on his line, then we can talk about that scenario, that possibility. Um, but for me right now, I see Joshua Hall as almost an almost definite NHLer, but in a more sort of uh, muted role than someone like Sean Farrell. 
So if you're a team that wants to roll lines and wants a, like, I know, you know, people are sick of hearing this on our podcast. I always talk about your bottom six quality. Like they can't Mm -hmm. be replacement level. Like there's such a thing as a better bottom six, even a better fourth line than any other team. Right. So like you have to work on filling those roles with talent. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think Joshua Roy is probably a possibility. So we are going to turn our attention to players that might be a little bit further away, but we might be potentially more excited about And that's coming up in just one moment. But first, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The midway point of the NBA season is here. And now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers will get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Plus, FanDuel is even going to let you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet of up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA as well as us right here. They're our official sports betting partner too. All right. So I am here with Hadi Kalakesh uh, of uh, Locked on NHL Prospects, Habs Eyes on the Prize, Dauber Prospects. Um, and lots of we stuff. just talked lots of stuff everywhere. <laughs> um, I love talking to public scouts because they're always like, you can find my work here. And then I did an article here for that. And then I did a video analysis here. <laughs> it's I love it. Um, yeah. And it's such a great community, too. At least I hope your experience of it is as great as our experience of it as hosts. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, So we talked in our first segment about players that are maybe a little bit closer to making the halves. Uh, And now we're going to talk about some players that are potentially a little bit further, maybe a little bit higher risk, high reward, but players that we should be excited about nevertheless. So I'm going to start. I've been waiting for this. So I'm going to ask you right off the bat about the one I want. I want to know the most about why should Canadians fans other than just myself um, be excited about defenseman Lane Hudson? Well, to put it simply, I, I don't think there's a, a more dynamic and more fun player uh, in the NCAA, maybe Adam Fantilli. Um, Lane Hudson's ability to just manipulate play, to manipulate opponents, he, he, it's just, it's amazing to watch. Every time you watch him, every time he, he gets the puck, like fans get up on the edge of their seats, you know, you know something's happening, especially when he gets it on a low to high pass at the offensive blue line. He's going to walk that blue line. He's going to shift an opponent. He's going to he's going to drive inside, play a give and go. He's so daring and so elusive and shifty. It's just it's so lovely to see uh, the Habs take a shot on a on a prospect like this. It's been so long since we've had a prospect with this caliber of talent in the system. The only thing for Moses skating because we talk about his defensive play being lackluster, being poor, but that's actually a result of his skating being an issue. Um, Hudson is really good when it comes to shifting left to right, but as soon as it comes to pivots, as soon as it comes to any scenario where he has to use his outside edges, it becomes an issue. Uh, and that's the, the um, defensive rushes because right now, as soon as you're big enough, as soon as you're fast enough, or as soon as you have a, a, a long enough reach, you can get around him really easily. And that's because his pivots are an issue. And I think that Adam Nicholas is probably the best person 
to 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 solve that problem with Lane Hudson. So I'm not worried about that at all. I've already seen some improvements in his pivots this year. It's something that's improved. It's something that's resulted in 38 points in 29 games as a defenseman, a freshman defenseman. He's probably going to be a Hobie Baker candidate um, as a freshman by the end of this year. He's been that good. Um, pretty much leads all defensemen in points uh, per game. We've never seen results like this um, since the likes of Adam Fox and Quinn Hughes and Zach Wierenski. He's in that tier uh, of, of production in, in his freshman year. So it's just, you know, you combine all that and it's obvious what the excitement is about, especially given that for me, the only thing that is limiting him right now and making him such a high risk, high reward prospect is his skating. And given who the Habs added in the offseason in order to, to surround their players, you know, Adam Nicholas's main strength is improving his, his players skating mechanics. We, we saw it with Sean Farrell when he headed out of the Chicago Steel at the end of his uh, of his dominant campaign with him where he put up 100 plus points um that year he consistently improved the skating and we're seeing it this year with lane hudson so i'm not concerned at all with um lane hudson being to a point where he's able to contribute defensively because anything that's within his reach defensively he has no problem with anything that he can keep up with his brain is is advanced enough to understand threats it's just that his body's not keeping up with his brain so he doesn't need to learn any sort of mental elements or technical elements that will improve his defensive play maybe his posture but that'll come with the skating so for me as soon as you solve that skating you've got an elite defenseman in lane hudson i i'm very excited about him so there's one concern that one of our listeners brought up and i'm so sorry i do not remember which one um it was and it was that in all the games that they had seen lane hudson play they hadn't necessarily seen him kind of out muscled and like bullied around by a larger body. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I haven't watched all of his games, so I'm not sure if that's true, but it's definitely a concern that if he were to move into an AHL or NHL role, it's definitely like that kind of being sort of bullied around by size or physicality. Like in my mind, mm-hmm. I feel like he has the ability to become fast enough that that won't be an issue. I mean, we thought about that with Cole Caulfield and we're not seeing that right now. <laughs> like he'll just skate around yep. people, right? So my hope is mm-hmm. that Lane Hudson will be able to improve his skating and his, his, his um, what do you call it? His posture, like you said, like just to, to be slippery enough mm-hmm. to just not have to worry about that. Yeah, I mean, the defensive game is kind of different than a winger. You know, Cole Caulfield can get away with not being involved almost at all in physical battles because he's so good at finding space off the puck offensively. But a defenseman's job, it's part of the job description, is to clear the net front, to get in those corners, go on retrievals. Obviously, that's going to be kind of a different scenario with Hudson, but I've personally seen him clear the net front more than often enough that I'm not concerned about it. And... I call this the Xavier Simonot effect because um, I talk about him a lot and, and how he's adapted to his lack of size because he's like 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, um, if a player is smaller than anyone else their entire lives and they're constantly playing above their age group, they're constantly playing against bigger, stronger competition and thriving, um, like Cole Caulfield has, like Xavier Simonot has, like Lane Hudson is right now, it's because they've developed the adaptive skills to work around their size already. And that's promising. That means that they've compensated for their lack of size, and that won't be an issue as they climb the ranks because it won't be anything new. I'm actually more concerned with a player who's 6'4", 200 pounds at 17, 18, and who's already you know bullying opponents physically, who's already outmuscling them in his age group because as he reaches the NHL, that competitive advantage disappears. 
Whereas someone like Lee Hudson, it's nothing new to them to go in the corner with a, a winger that's bigger than them, you know? So it's, it's kind of, um, it's all about adaptive skills and what you learn along the way. And I think that Lane Hudson has been able to add some elements to his game through experiences throughout his whole life playing against bigger and stronger opponents that will continue to benefit him in the NHL. The way that he approaches retrievals to me is really interesting, for example. Um, he he pivots early, skates back early, and when, you know, like I mentioned, if you're big and strong, and if you're big and fast enough, you're going to get around him. But let's say on dump-ins, he pivots early, he anticipates a dump-in, goes back, retrieves it, and it doesn't stay on a stick long. He doesn't try to maintain possession for a long while behind his net or try to... He pretty much avoids 50-50 battles by just anticipating play early, scanning a whole bunch of times, and already knowing what his next play is going to be before he touches a puck. So in a way, he does avoid those scenarios, but inevitably there's going to be there's going to come a time where he's going to go in the in the corner against, you know, a big strong winger like Amiko Rantanen, you know, in the NHL if he reaches that level. And it's important for him to be able to continue to outsmart them, but also be able to outskate them. That's not really something that he'll be able to do at where he is right now, but I'm confident that that improves and he works that out of his game and he's able to consistently outskate his opponents because otherwise you get a situation like an Eric Brandstrom in Ottawa um, where you got a fluid skater, but doesn't anticipate play that well um, and then gets stuck on retrievals with its back to the play, not really knowing what to do and kind of a big winger closing in on him. That's been one of the main issues with Branstrom, and that's prevented him from succeeding so far. I don't see that being a concern with Hudson because of how smart he is, but um, his skating does need to reach another level so that his feet can keep up. And with that's the thing. The good thing about Lane Hudson is that as excited as we are with him, I think we all have to acknowledge that he's quite a ways away from us having to worry about that. Like there's, yeah. there's still years of development left in him to prepare him for that role. Yeah. And I got so wrapped up in the conversation about Lane Hudson that I completely forgot about the other two players we were going to discuss <laughs> in segment. So let's quickly talk about Riley Kidney's tear and uh, check in on Philip Bashar just because people have a lot of questions on how he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Riley Kidney right now, um, he, he was traded to the Gatineau and Epic, and he's been doing tremendous since then, 38 points in 15 games. Um, I was of the of the, the the group of public scouts that were concerned with his projectability and saw him more as a junior scorer, but he's added something this year that has kind of changed my mind on that and kind of added some more promise to his profile. And is basically he turned his biggest strength, his biggest weakness into a, a, a decent strength, um, and that's his inside play. With Kidney, the big issue was he never drove the middle. He never tried to push off the wall with the puck and, and bring it to the middle of the ice and make plays from there. He, you know, the only time where the puck would go from the boards to the middle with him was when he was throwing it at the front of the net for sort of a Hail Mary pass. That's kind of been weaned out of his game, and now he's con he's constantly driving the inside. He's trying, he's, he's at least trying to find ways to get the puck off the boards and make plays, you know, in open ice rather than just you know being stuck with his back back to the boards and trying to make a pass into uh, one thing that's improved a lot in this game. And that's what's leading to such strong results this year. And especially now that he's paired with guys that complement him really well and gets no, they've got a really, really strong forward group uh, with the likes of Alexis Gendron, Olivier Nadeau. Um, all those guys are, are kind of hard workers that can help him along the boards and allow him to sort of be in scenarios where he's not necessarily struggling with two guys on his back. It's always like a two on two or a three on two along the boards that gives him more leeway to be able to get off the boards. So that's one thing that's really helped kidney. And that's kind of resulting in these, in these strong results. So I say he's gone from, you know, a 
best case scenario third liner to a likely third liner for me. And that sounds that like honestly, that sounds good because yeah. the other thing that we talk about sometimes on this podcast, we're talking about all these prospects. And sometimes mm-hmm. when, when people ask us, can you project a lineup two years from now, three years from now? Like there's <laughs> so many players. And then we have to remember that not all of them are gonna make the NHL. But yeah. the more potential you have, A, it gives you more tools and B it gives you more trade chips. Yeah. Um, and finally, Philip Mayshar. To me, Philip Mayshar is one of the most intriguing people because we, as as not just as a podcast, as a fan base, we hadn't necessarily scouted him as heavily. Uh, as we would have had we known that that was going to be somebody the Canadians were going to look at, right? Like we were basing mm-hmm. all of our opinions on past, uh, past. I'm going to say past administrations. Yeah. Um, so that was it. Was a it was a fun pick because he seems to have the skill level that is just it's so tantalizing and promising. Yeah. So let's talk about him real quick because I think it's kind of confusing, like the, the way it's panned out on his teams uh, mm-hmm. in the OHL. It's just it's not making a whole lot of sense. Yeah, um, you know, I've got some connections on the Kitchener side, some people who follow him a lot closely who are from Ontario. Um, From what I've heard, the coaching has been awful um, and hasn't resulted in the best scenarios for Meshar. Um, There was a recent coaching change, I believe, that might help in that case. But, you know, you you watch his production last year um, in his draft year with a, a pro team in Slovakia, 16 points in 37 games. You know, that's promising results for a player playing pro as an undersized forward. Then he goes to the OHL. Now he's got 37 points in 38 games. And obviously you ask kind of what's going on there. But there are a lot of scenarios around that. You know, he wasn't getting the best opportunities. He wasn't deployed in the best roles. He um, was playing on a struggling team that was having trouble putting goals in the back of the net, regardless of who was on the ice. Um, so you take all that into consideration. And, you know, for me, Meshar is still a prospect who's got some pro elements for me he's a pro mind stuck in a junior body um and that'll that'll improve you know a player can grow a player can add weight you know that's not an issue for me he might continue and maybe 190 pound you know uh winger or, or center I, I i see him more as a center given a skill set but i wouldn't be too concerned because a skill set is so clear it's so obvious you know he, he's so good at weaving through traffic at carrying the puck from the defensive zone to the offensive zone um, and just making plays in tight with really good playmaking elements. Overall, I wouldn't be too concerned with that, but it'll take more time to sort of figure out exactly who Philip Mishar is, um, especially given the role that he's in right now. It's really tough to scout him. And I think that's kind of an issue with Philip Mishar is that it's going to be a while before we know, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still find, you know, obviously he's a first rounder, but it's, yeah. that's not it. Like that there's the, the cognitive bi- bias associated with that. But mm-hmm. I do think that there have been elements of his skill that like have been very, very promising. And I, I yeah. really like what you said about the pro mind stuck in a junior body yeah. because the hockey smarts is what this team is all about or what mm-hmm. the future team that they want to contend with is. Um, and then in our next segment, what we are going to talk about is I specifically asked um, Hattie for thoughts on who the Canadians might draft, but I didn't want to mention any names myself because I didn't want to bring any bias into this conversation. So Mm -hmm. in one moment, we're going to talk about who the Canadians may draft with their top, with their two first round picks this upcoming draft. All right. So, the Canadians are likely to end up right now, if you look at it, they're drafting 7th and 11th overall. Mm-hmm. Things might change. There's still enough games in the season for the Canadians to drop dramatically, uh, mm-hmm. which I know some people, some listeners are concerned that 
that's not happening enough and and you know they're not going to get a game breaker uh, also some listeners including myself i'm not just a listener but like i'm also a little bit concerned about florida not being as bad as they promised to be like maybe yep. in like december um <laughs> so i just want to know you know what your ranking is in that area so let's say let's say five to 12, right? Like, cause the Canadians could drop as low as drafting fifth or they might win the lottery and move up a couple of spots. Right. So yeah. like, who's like, maybe give us a quick rundown of your ranking and then who like one or two players that you're most excited about. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of ranking, it's, it's going to change around my, my rankings right now, my rankings from January and I've watched a lot of games since then and things have worked around right now who I've got for seventh overall is Edward Shala, but I've, I've watched some games recently that have kind of made me doubt that, um, so he's probably going to be dropping, you know, a couple of guys that I would consider if I'm the Habs, you know, first and foremost, I think the right side of D and in, in terms of the prospect pool is something that's lacking. So guys like Axel Sandin Pelica, um, David Reinbacher, a couple of guys that I would consider in the um, sort of with the 11th pick. But if we're picking seventh overall, um, I would probably go for someone like Andrew Crystal, who I don't see talked about enough, um, but he's just tearing up the WHL right now. I've had some scouts tell me that he's in their 20s. I've had, I've had other scouts tell me that they're, he's their second best WHL prospect, which is saying something because that means the only player ahead of him is Connor Bedard, right? Um, and in the in between that, you've got names like Zach Benson, like Braden Yeager, and those guys are ranked high. So when a, play, when a, when a scout says Andrew Crystal is my second best WHL prospect, we're talking about a top five pick because Zach Benson is no slouch in the slightest. Um, and Benson's probably going to be gone by four or five. Um, now, if you're asking me, I think that the Habs should uh, go for Matvey Michkov because I'm I'm almost certain he's going to be slipping. Um, but we've already got reports out of the Habs that they're not going to be going that route, that they, they probably won't be picking Matvey Michkov if, he, if he's available even at seven. So if we scratch that off the table and we consider that the Habs really want a top six uh, center, you've got options. Either Zach Benson slips and you're extremely lucky and you get him, Either you get Will Smith, you know, Oliver Moore can be in that conversation. Um, there, there's a couple other guys. I wouldn't consider a guy like Dalibor Tvorsky, who's been linked to the Habs a lot, um, mainly because he slipped in my rankings. I'm not really too impressed with his play recently. He had a decent-ish World Juniors, but nothing, you know, to write home about. So, you know, if we're going center and right D, let's say, which, you know, teams always say they won't draft for position. They'll draft the best player available. It's, it's But then they do. The yeah, no, see, so if we're going center and right D, my bet is something like Will Smith and Axel Sandy Pelica would probably be the best case scenario at 7 11. Um, and also polar, but I wouldn't be against <laughs> one has a so... very generic name and one has a really fun name, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, Axel Sandy Pelica is up there with the best defenseman in this class, and he's right handed and he's extremely fluid and he's really smart. Pretty much all the things that the Habs are going for by modernizing their, their style of play for Montana St. Louis. So I think he would be a great, great fit for directionally. Um, so yeah, but he's one option. Either either him or David Reinbacher, who's a bit more traditional, but also really good on breakouts, really good, a really good handler for a big guy. Um, but sort of the um, the more NHL GM pick, I would say. So I'm gonna go over a little bit with a couple of minutes because you know who we forgot to talk about, which is somebody yeah. that is not super known. Uh, he's a Habs prospect, Engstrom, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you're one of the few people that I know that's willing to like actually like talk about how he's doing because most people are like, I oh, don't really know. He's all the way over there. So yeah, um, no, maybe let's finish course. up with some thoughts on him. Like a little bit of a bonus for our listeners. 
So Adam Engstrom um, has been playing SHL minutes pretty much regularly this season. He started off as their seventh defenseman, was playing one every two games, was playing maybe five, six, seven minutes a game. Now he's up to 15 minute average. He had a 20 minute game recently. He's been utilized in uh, many different scenarios. Um, he's He's been just surprising because his defensive issues are pretty but he's really fluid offensively really intelligent on the breakout and he's constantly trying stuff he's not that kind of reserved player who sticks to their guns he's always exploring new new advent you know new venues in terms of what he can do he's kind of feeling out what he can get away with and and what works and what doesn't and for me experimentation is the best way to add new skills and that's what i see from angstrom right now and rugla is a really really good system uh, for prospects, they they're the ones that produced um, uh, Moritz Sider. They're the ones that produced uh, um, uh, Niels Höglander uh, recently with Nux. They've got a good rap sheet, especially with defensemen. Right now, um, at one point, Adam Engstrom and uh, I believe it was William Volander, um, uh, 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 Detroit Red Wings prospect. That that, that were their their first pair. So basically, they had two extremely young defensemen on their first pair as an SHL team and they were still being competitive. They're more than willing to give their youngsters opportunities and trust them. And I think that's the best environment for Adam Engstrom to learn some more um, sort of refined defensive skills, because obviously that's a lacking his gap control in, in rush uh, defense is it's iffy uh, often um, his defensive zone positioning is kind of an issue as well, but I like how often he scans, he checks his shoulders multiple times. So he's keeping sort of mental notes of where everyone is, but he just, he has trouble situating himself within that. So if he works that out, you know, I'd see a second pair defenseman out of Adam aren't that high. He's just really smart and can find passes better than most defensemen, which is something that I, I really like to see uh, the Habs take a shot on. He was kind of hidden behind um, Kali Odelius and the the three uh, Swedish forwards from last year's draft. Um, was kind of kind of coasting behind them and wasn't really watched as much. So I was kind of surprised when the Habs took him in, in the third round. But, you know, after watching his game, paying more attention to what he does well and what he needs to work on, it's kind of a good bet in the third round. I, I wouldn't sleep That's on That's the him. thing, too, is that, like, a lot of people are like, uh, who? <laughs> um, and still, like, yeah. people are like, well, <laughs> now we know his name, but do we know anything about him? Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad that you were able to give us a little bit of perspective. Um, yeah. And I hope our listeners got a lot out of this episode, because I certainly did. Uh, yeah. I learned a lot, and I'm very, I'm even more excited now about all these players um, yeah. and the future. Um, so, Hadi, can you please tell everybody where they can find your work? Yeah, um, Twitter's a one-stop shop. You can find everything I do there. I post everything I do there. It's K underscore scouting. Um, so you can find me really easily in all my work there. But I, I uh, you know, my articles, my articles come out on um, Habs Eyes on the Prize about once a week. Uh, I do some work for Dauber Prospects as their QMJHL scout. So I put out game reports from time to time. Uh, and I've got the Locked On NHL Prospects podcast, which should be uh, up and running soon. We're taking a little break right now to restructure. I maybe add some co-hosts, but uh, we'll uh, we'll be back on the air very soon. We'll be able to, to get out some uh, daily reports from you from the scouting world. And as we get closer and closer to the draft, I think Canadians fans are going to get a lot out of that. It's going to be very useful for them. Yeah. And obviously, I will ask you on again <laughs> because Hopefully. I love talking prospects. Like this is the thing as a Canadians fan now, it's like we look at the games and we're like, eh. and then we look at the immediate future and we're like, eh. and mm -hmm. then we look like a little bit further in the future and we get excited. So that there's yeah. going to be a lot more of that on Locked On Canadians. So make sure. 
you are subscribed to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts as well as on YouTube. You will find us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. Don't forget your mailbag questions. Tomorrow's a mailbag day. You can email us at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. You will find me at The Active Stick. You'll find Scott at Scott Matla. He's away for a while now, but uh, you can still you can still tweet him and see if he responds on his vacation. Um, you can also leave mailbag questions in the YouTube comments. Just make sure you write mailbag questions because sometimes I can't tell if it's just a discussion point or if it's a mailbag question. So put mailbag question in the question um, on YouTube and all of those I will answer for you on an episode tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you tomorrow.